I was playing because it was my passion and yeah. it was really fun. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved to practice it. I loved to play it. I loved to talk about it. You know, I loved to watch it. Baseball was my passion. Yeah. Um, so for me, every step of the way, really the goal was just to be the best player on the field. Hello, my name is Matt Bros of Lockton. In my role, I consult with employers all around the country related to their employee benefits strategy. We're in conversations all the time about how to attract the best talent and get the best out of their people. Work ethic, integrity, those are all traits of people that pursue excellence and it doesn't even stop there. From the boardroom to the storeroom, we're gonna find out what drives those people. Welcome to the excellence culture. This is gonna be an excellent adventure. Welcome to the Excellence Culture. Uh, my name is Matt Bros with Lockton Dunning Benefits, and I am really excited to have somebody here uh, to talk about excellence with, um, and that is Ian Kinsler. 14 seasons in Major League Baseball, uh, four-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner, and now you're getting to sit with an insurance guy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, really appreciate you coming, and, and thanks for that time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the reason why we're having these conversations is I'm really wanting to hear stories of people that just execute you know, excellence on an everyday basis. It might be somebody like you, who is obviously somebody who's done some pretty special stuff, but it can also be somebody who's at a car wash that just wakes up every morning and wants to do the best that they can. Um, and so being able to have this conversation with you, I think we can learn a lot from. Um, so yeah, again, I really appreciate you taking this time. Yeah. Um, could you just kind of take us into a little bit of little Ian Kinsler yeah. um, and, and maybe kind of first share with us a little bit of your upbringing, et cetera? Yeah, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, um, to Howard and Kathy Kinsler. My dad grew up in New York in the Bronx, um, moved to Tucson to play on the freshman basketball team at U of A. My mom grew up in Phoenix, Arizona and decided to you know, go to the University of Arizona and that's where they met. Um, so that's where, I was, that's where I was raised, that's where I was born, that's where I was raised and I don't know how many people have been to Tucson, maybe heard of Tucson. Uh, it's a smaller town, there's not a lot going on. Um, obviously warm year round, perfect for sports and being outside and whatever. So my upbringing was outside, you know, playing in the dirt and the rocks, there's not a lot of grass trying to keep the cactus out of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, jumping choyas. Yeah, jumping yeah. choyas. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it was really a, a perfect environment um, for, you know, a kid to be outside and, and learn the sport that they love. And baseball at a young age was something that I loved. I was drawn to it. Was there any um, other sports? Soccer. Okay. So soccer was my second sport and People, some people that are really close to me that I grew up with would probably say that was my best sport until I was like 14, probably. Okay. Um, but baseball to me was was definitely my love yeah. and, and passion. So yeah. at 14 in high school, you know, it, it was a little bit of a shift where baseball became my primary focus. You know, soccer with like a club team and then the school team. When I was 14, I stopped playing the club team soccer and just focused on baseball but still played soccer at school through my senior year. So it was still, it was still part of my, my athletic polish, yeah. sort of speak. Yeah. Because, you know, similar to basketball, it's, it's a lot different 
the way you utilize your body, the way you move, you know, understanding how your feet work and mm -hmm. things like that, which can be 100% beneficial mm -hmm. to baseball or to whatever other sport you're playing. So, you know, you're obviously pretty fast because you could steal some bases too. Yeah, I mean, I was more <laughs> instinctual. I think yeah. I, was, I, I could run, but I wasn't like a Trey Turner or you know, like a Bubba Thompson who plays for the Rangers. Like yeah. these these guys that are just burners. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of stolen bases, a lot of the base running for me was was mo more instinctual. I did have the speed to go with it, but it wasn't like that was my attribute that that you know jumped okay. off the page. Okay. So tell me a little bit about just kind of your parents growing up you know the, the kind of kid that they wanted to raise it was a very it was a very laid-back household for the most part my well I mean my, both my parents worked my dad was a prison warden my mm. mom worked for the city financially um, for the city for the for the public health system okay and you know they worked from nine to five it was yeah. pretty typical you know I had to walk myself to the bus stop every morning uh, walk my home, myself home from the bus stop every morning or every afternoon and you know kind of have that period of time whether you know when I was younger it was the after-school program you'd go for a couple hours wait for your parents to get off work they come get you and then when you get to high school you come home and you're sitting on the couch or doing you're trying to finish your homework as fast as you can so when mom and dad get home you can catch a ride to the ballpark but yeah. um, you know it, it was religiously there was really no no force in our household mm -hmm. you know my dad grew up Jewish in New York and mm -hmm. my mom grew up Catholic in in Phoenix okay. um, my mom comes from uh, a pretty strict Catholic household where she has you know ten brothers and sisters Portuguese Catholic family yeah my dad grew up on the East Coast Ashkenazi Jew um, and it's a culture on the East Coast, yeah. a Jewish culture. Yeah. And they decided before they had children that they would not push any sort of religion on their children and kind of let us find our own way. Um, so I'd say more spiritually. Yeah, was, but taught independence, it sounds like. Yes, yeah. yeah, and you kind of figure it out for yourself and, and you know what you're drawn to and, and those types of things. But definitely, you know, sports, being active was a huge part of our house and I have a younger sister who grew up playing soccer softball and then decided in high school she wanted to be a cheerleader so it was always something you know yeah. you always had to do something outside of school yeah and okay. that was that was important in our house that's cool well I, I'd love to hear you know because it, it, we might be fast-forwarding a little bit just in your life but is there somebody that sticks out as just one of the greatest mentors you ever had like just in your quest of who Ian Kinsler ended up becoming, who had a lot of influence on that? Man, that's like, that's such a tough question to reflect on because yeah. obviously my dad and my mom are yeah. huge influences in my life. But, you know, you start, you start to think about your peers and your friends and people that you're close to, people that you, that you grew up with. Mm -hmm. um, and then you start thinking about the coaches and how many different steps along the way of your life uh, you got to develop relationships with with different people, so it's really hard to like peg down one person. But you know, I would 100% say my dad. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, you know, my high school coach was a guy named Kent Winslow, okay. who you know, for for me, it was it, it started in high school. There was a, the, our coach named Kent Winslow uh, was an excellent coach, an excellent mentor really understood how to how to grab our attention and, and hold our respect mm -hmm. and you know that's big at a young age and in, in high school with you know 
kids from 14 to, to 18 and, and understanding the team dynamic and also just a young person's yeah. you know, frame of mind and view of the world. And he was, he was able to keep us all intact and, and motivated and, and he kept his respect through the time I was at in high school. And then um, I ended up going to junior college and there I met three guys who were pretty influential on me. First was the head coach, his name's Clint Myers. Um, this is in Arizona, right? This is in Arizona, Central yeah. Arizona Junior okay. College. And the head coach was Clint Myers, and he was just an extension of, of Kent Winslow, oh, okay. really. And all of this was just, uh, as far as baseball is concerned, it was a, just a great growing environment at every step along the way for me to understand the game and to push my instinctual game to the next level and just okay. understanding the game more and more each step um, another guy who was there was the pitching coach his name was John Winter, and he's still in my life he was in my wedding he we talk on the phone probably twice a month still he's still coaching he's at Sacramento State right now he's a pitch, pitching coach and you know I lived with him at one point in the summertime when I went for, for summer ball you know, I, I live with, he was my host family, basically. Um, yeah, or he, cool. he stayed with me at the host family, and he was the, he was the head coach of the team, and we lived together. So that's cool. every drive home, we got to talk about the game and dissect the game, and, and you know, I learned a lot. And then mm -hmm. there was another guy at that same school. His name was Michael Marino, um, who played at Arizona State, was an excellent ball player, and just a ball of energy. Okay. And he was the guy that really pushed me physically. I knew what hard work was, but I didn't. Sometimes your intent gets lost in hard work, and he was constantly on me about my intent. He knew that I would work hard. Um, he knew I would take any opportunity to get extra work, yeah. but the intent of it and the and the energy that goes with it. Um, was there also was like a belief really behind it too? Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. It was just really important to him. He, yeah. he rode me. And yeah. for me, through the, through the course of my life, I seem to really be attracted to people who are on, on the borderline of being critical. Yeah. You know, like somebody that criticizes me constructively on yeah. the borderline of constructively and not yeah. just somebody that kind of rides me. Um, was somebody that I was always attracted to. I wanted wow, to be around cool. that person. And I think that really started at a young age with my dad. Yeah. You know, he was, he was very critical, but very constructive. Yeah. And he had, you know, his major was, was uh, you know, in his, what ended up being his job was being a warden in, in criminal justice. And he was minor in psychology. So he had a pretty good idea of how, you know, discipline works. Um, and motivation and what to say and how to point things out to that, me. That's such a good point, man. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to interrupt you, but like the, just that, you know, we're, we're talking about excellence here, right? And it's not this flashy excellence kind of thing, but it's just people who are trying to be the best they can, they, they just accept correction, it seems like, right? And that seems like that's what you're kind of talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. It's self-reflection, really. Yeah. You know, people, in my experiences, when we talk about excellence, people that have the best self-reflection are usually the, the most excellent. Yeah. People that can understand what makes them tick, what's going to make them better, 
and they're able to, to digest that and use that are usually the people that are yeah. the most excellent, regardless of if it's sports or anything else. Yeah. If you have a pretty good self-reflection of where you're at and how to get to the next level and like what you need to improve on and what you're kind of, you know, what, what makes you really good. Yeah. And you're, you ha you're able to, to manage all of those things. Yeah. Usually it leads to productive production. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you've had some pretty good, impactful people in your life. And yeah, I'm sure absolutely. through the majors, too, you can yeah. kind of keep going. Absolutely. Um, and you might be able to reference some of those people, um, you know, coming up. But it, it seems like, you know, I kind of did a little bit of research on you. Obviously, you're an easy person to research. Um, but it seems like kind of in college, there was a struggle when you were at Arizona State a little bit. It Maybe you weren't noticed the way that you should have been. Um, and then, obviously, fast forward, um, you were drafted in the 17th round um, to go to the Rangers. And then next thing you know, I mean, not long after that, you're an all-star and a gold glove winner. And so, mentally, for you, I mean, was that just a challenging thing to go through? Because I feel like you probably believe that you were better than everybody thought. But I, yeah, I've always believed that. Yeah, and it, yeah. to a fault, really. Sometimes, yeah. um, you know, grow, in high school we had five major leaguers on the team. Yeah, ended up being five major leaguers on wow. the team. So, and all of those guys were big kids. They were all mm -hmm. big and strong and fast, and they're just better than everybody else. And so I was overlooked a little bit there. Yeah. Um, but I still thought I was the best player out of all of them yeah. internally. Mm -hmm. And that's just how I played. And that kind of carried with me um, through the rest of my life. And everything kind of happened for a reason looking back. And, and really um, the learning moment was at Arizona State, like you mentioned, where yeah. I, I got benched. Yeah. I transferred from junior college to Arizona State. And there was a guy named Dustin Pedroia who's there, who was there, who won an MVP in the major leagues. Borderline Hall of Fame guy. Yeah. He's at Arizona State as a freshman. I transfer in as a sophomore. They move him from short to second, and I'm playing shortstop. And the first seven, eight games of the season were terrible. Yeah, I was missing. Every, I mean, booting ground balls. I was striking. I just wasn't playing good baseball at all. Yeah. Um, and then Pac-10, the Pac-10 schedule started, and I was on the bench. Mm. And I think the rest of the year I got maybe one or two at bats. And and Dustin moved back to shortstop and ended up winning freshman Pac-10 Player of the Year. Yeah. So that was a great learning moment for me because I'd never sat and watched the game. Yeah. And the coaches who were there, Pat Murphy, you know, he might, there's a lot, there's a lot that kind of drags along with his name at the collegiate level and, you know, people have different opinions of him. Yeah. Um, but I learned so much yeah. from him and the way that he organized that team, a lot of meetings, he made us read you know, motivational books and, and, you know, books of psychology, sports yeah. psychology, and present chapters to the team. And there was just all kinds of different things that we did. And I wasn't playing at the time, so I had, I had time to learn all of this and, like, sit back and actually digest it and think about it. Um, and then I decided I needed a transfer if I wanted to get drafted because going into your junior year, that's your first eligibility yeah. from D1 to be drafted. Yeah. Um, so I ended up transferring to the University of Missouri. And there I was, I was good, Yeah. you know? I thought I was better in the 17th round, just like yeah. previously in my life. I always thought that I was better than what was happening yeah. around me or what other people thought, I guess. 
but I never really let that bother me. I didn't make it, it wasn't external. I didn't put that out in the world. It was more inside. I, I felt like I was the best player on the field um, when at did all you, times. When did you start believing that you were going to play Major League Baseball? I, you know what? I never really, like, that was never really part of the process right. or really part of the reason why I was playing. Yeah. You know, um, I was playing because it was my passion and yeah. it was really fun. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved to practice it. I loved to play it. I loved to talk about it. You know, I loved to watch it. Baseball was my passion. Yeah. Um, so for me, every step of the way, really the goal was just to be the best player on the field, the yeah. best player on the team, because I was like, I'm, I'm signing. I'm, yeah. re I'm ready to go okay. and, and learn more and yeah. see what, you know, show everybody what I'm capable of. Yeah. Um, but that first experience in Spokane was definitely nerve wracking. Uh, my first game, I got, I think I went four for four, or four for five or something. And I was like, oh man, this is, this yeah. is awesome. And then my next like 23 at bats, I didn't get a hit. I went oh, okay, oh for man. like my next long stretch. And that's where it's like, I, I gotta, I gotta be better. Yeah. I gotta figure something out. And that's when, that was probably the first time where it was, you, you know, it was never, it was never doubt. It was never like, man, maybe I can't do this. Mm -hmm. It was always, what do I have to do to get better? Yeah. What What do I need to improve on? What What adjustments do I need to make? It was never going onto the negative side. It was yeah. like, I know I can yeah. do it. I got to figure out how. Yeah. It was never, ah, I probably can't do this, or mm -hmm. this is too hard, or whatever. And then, you know, honestly, thinking about the major leagues in 2004, I was. I was invited to play in the Arizona Fall League, which is a league that the you know the top prospects go and play. And when the when the uh, summer's over and the season's over, you go to Arizona Fall League, and that's where all the best prospects are. And and I played really well there. And that's where it was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm that's ready cool. for the, for the major leagues. And it was probably still a little bit early in everyone else's mind, but in my mind, I was I was ready for that. Yeah. Um, and it took me another year of AAA, and then I was able to to break opening day roster but yeah um yeah a little a little view i guess into yeah. my mind at that time i guess yeah and that mindset is man baseball like i feel like the game of baseball and maybe the game of golf you hear about slumps in those two games more than any other game right you're going to hear about slump all the time in baseball you hear about slumps in golf um, and so just that, that idea of the mental side of the game and that peak performance world, was that a big focus of yours or did it just come, come natural for you? I think, you know, growing up with my dad and uh, the constant, you know, criticism, constructive criticism and, and how to play the game and, and your approach to the game was something that was just ingrained in me mm. at, at a young age. Um, Yes, did I have slumps? Absolutely. Yeah. Were, were there nights when I laid in bed and just stared at the ceiling and wondering what the heck is going on? And yeah. like, yeah, absolutely. Where it was just sleepless nights and you're going, man, I'm never going to get a hit again. Yeah. You know, um, that, that 100% happened. But I love baseball so much and I love the work, the, the, the effort and the, the process of it so much that it never got to the point where I felt like I was overmatched or yeah. this was the end or like, yeah. you know, that never, that never really even got close. And I think a lot of that was 
you know, the mental, the mental state that my dad instilled in me at a young age. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's cool. Well, in our, in in my world, um, you know, I've, I I do employee benefits for companies, and the mental health of America is a huge concern in our industry. And it's something that we're solving for all the time. Whether we've figured out the ultimate solution, probably not, right? But, you know, was that even anything that was on the horizon for you and the MLB? Maybe not you personally, but just the MLB in terms of, you know, even helping those players um, with their mental health. I think it's really easy for us to be in this seat thinking that a guy like Ian Kinsler or... Um, you know, name name whatever name doesn't struggle with mental health because they're so strong, but it does seem like I guess we've found that there's there's nobody that's you know fireproof of that. And so, was that anything that was on the horizon when you were playing? And do you see that increasing kind of even among those peak performing athletes at all? Yeah, it was during my career was when all of that started to to kind of take fold. Yeah. Um, teams started hiring sports psychologists and you know they were around they were in the clubhouse they were available and you know for the longest time athletes at a young age were were taught to stay even keel you know don't get too high don't get too low Roger Federer yes Roger Federer and that was pounded into you yeah you know never show weakness yeah Um, never show the other team that that you're struggling or whatever, yeah. right? That you're that you're beat. You just can't. Emotions were were checked. Yeah, you, you think about sports. the baseball season in itself and the amount that y'all are away from your families and yeah. yeah. But at a young age, we're taught to check yeah. our emotions. Yeah, you know. And so growing up, that that also that is kind of ingrained in you. And you know, through the course of my major league career, is when you know people started understanding maybe it's effective to have somebody to talk to. Yeah. you know, for, for these athletes. Because everybody reacts differently to pre- the pressures of, you know, being in, playing a game <laughs> in front yeah. of, you know, 40,000 people every night and then addressing the media after and then being considered a role model for kids and then having mm. their own kids and then having to deal with their wife and their spouse or their girlfriend and then their families and the way they act, you know, uh, yeah. and friends that want to, pe- you know, just there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that can potentially be on the plate. And through my career is when it kind of all started to happen. And the Rangers hired a, hired a guy named Donnie Cockstein, who's okay. now the, he, he now works for the Mavs. And he's been, he's been with the Mavs for quite some time. He's with the Rangers, he went to the Red Sox uh, when they broke the curse, and then he, he now works for the Mavs. And he's, he's fantastic. Yeah. He's amazing at his job. Um, but 100% the, the the crazy thing about about the phrase mental health to me is that it's like so vast. Yeah, it is. It could be somebody that is performing in the limelight. Yeah. And doing a great job, but when they go home, they're anxiety ridden for some reason. They have a tough time sleeping. Um, they, there's there's their mind is constantly moving or wandering and places that it maybe shouldn't go or they don't know how to yeah. how to process that um, so that it's just like this huge range yeah. of things that you know we've we've now coined this term mental health 
Yeah. And for me, it's it's kind of dangerous because yeah. it can be so many, yeah, so many different things. Um, and really, being able to talk to somebody that you trust and has an education in in that realm, yeah, and can kind of pro- help you process it, I think is is it's important. So, it's so key and. You know, you guys deservedly had somebody right at your fingertips to talk to, and what we're we're solving for is the fact that there's a lot of people that don't have somebody to talk to, and to get a to get a scheduled for a counseling appointment could take two months these days, um, and so it's that's the real thing that that you know we're focused on a lot with employers, and so. Um, you know, I appreciate you being able to kind of share a little bit on that. Um, okay, we're going to go to a little bit of the bright side. I want to hear about the cycle. Okay. okay, you're one of the very few people in the history of the major leagues who batted the cycle, and um, and so go ahead and kind of explain that, and then I would love to just kind of hear what your mindset would look like on that last hit. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy night. Um, so what is the cycle? The cycle is uh, in the same game, you hit a single, a double, a triple, and a home run in, in four different at-bats. Yeah, it seems easy. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the triple, really, that's difficult. Because may, maybe you're hitting five a year, Yeah, you know, if you can run. Um, well, it looked like to me, because I, I watched it for the first time just yesterday, and it seemed like you knew you needed to hit it to right field. And it almost seemed like you intentionally hit it to right field. And to think that, you know, these pitchers are so good and that you have the time to actually, and I mean, I'd love to hear what was, what was your mindset. And did you have that much control of the bat that night, you know? So, I, I, did have a, I did have a lot of control of the bat in the strike zone and my body that night. But, um, you know, leading up to that triple at bat, I'd, I'd already had four hits. Yeah. And two of them were singles. Okay. And one was a double and one was a home run. So I was a triple shy. And my, my fourth at bat when I got my second base hit, my second single, I rounded, I rounded first and I came back and I was like, uh, kind of a reflection moment where I was like, man, I'm, I'm four for four. And then I started thinking about, okay, I got two singles, a double and a home run. Oh, like I'm a triple away from the cycle. Yeah. So even in my fourth at bat, I didn't realize that I was a triple away from the cycle. Um, and it was it was a high scoring game, so offense was necessary, and so your focus was still really high because uh, the the Orioles, the Baltimore Orioles at the time, were still scoring runs, and it was kind of a boat race and to see who could get, you yeah. know, constantly stay ahead. And so um, that's why in that fourth at bat, I wasn't really thinking about the cycle. I was thinking about winning the game yeah. and doing what I could to to help the team. But that fifth at bat, one hundred percent, I knew I needed to hit it the right field yeah. to get the triple. Was I trying to hit it right to right field? No. Yeah. I'm never really trying to hit it the right field unless <laughs> I'm forced to, like, move a runner or do something for the, the team. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to hit the ball to the left. I okay. mean, that's just where I naturally naturally hit the ball. But um, it just so happened it was, it was just the perfect placement. Probably never hit a ball like that in my, you know, other, other than that one time in my career where it was kind of a driven, like, fly ball not really a line drive, not too high where the center field could run under. It was like the perfect trajectory uh, in the right center field. And it bounced off the warning track. And 
you know, it was very close to just bouncing over the fence and being another double, uh, ground rule double, but it kind of hit the top of the wall and shot straight up in the air. So that gave me a lot more time to be able to get the third. So it was like perfect placement. And you know, the crazy part was like, it was on Jackie Robinson day, which was amazing. And you know, I, I wore my uniform like him. And at that time, not, not very many players wore their pants up. Okay. Now, you know, it's pretty relevant. Or, you know, yeah. everybody's kind of has their yeah. pants up or some sort of style. But at that time, you know, that's maybe a little bit what I was known for. And to be on Jackie Robinson, to be a second baseman, to, you know, have my uniform that way, that was in my mind. Yeah. Like, this is Jackie Robinson Day. If I do this, like, this is the coolest thing ever. That's so is cool. To, you know, yeah. accomplish it on Jackie Robinson Day. So, um, that was part of the yeah the scene for me yeah that's cool well i you know a lot of us here in texas we remember the 2010-2011 team um it just seemed like there was just so much synergy you know in that team um you know how big of a part of that team was the culture you know the culture of that team it just seemed like y'all were having a blast you know? it was, yes, it was a huge part. Yeah. We were high character, high energy. Yeah. And we had the manager and the coaching staff that, that took us to those places, allowed us to be who we were. Um, and Ron Washington was high energy, loved baseball, huge passion for the game, and every day came to win. There was no BS with Wash. I mean, it was pretty straightforward. We knew what he expected from us, um, and we knew what we expected from each other. And like I said, it was, it was, you know, a bunch of characters. Uh, we had a, a fantastic, I mean, we just had so much fun yeah. being around each other and, and playing the game together in the dugout, on the field, off the field. We were constantly having fun, but winning was our number one priority. Yeah. Having fun never took over the fact of yeah. we need to beat, we need to beat the other team. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that, that was the character of our team. And everyone really, really was, was a place in that. Okay. And so it, it just, it, it was, like you said, it was just a great time in, in the Metroplex. The excitement around the team was incredible. You know, you drive through neighborhoods and you see ranger signs in front yards. You drive on the freeways and you see rangers, you know, uh, flags hanging out windows and, um, you see it's tailgating cool. going on at the stadium. People are excited for baseball, and it was yeah. it was just a great time to be to be a part of that. that where club. where would you rank like the culture piece of that time, um, in terms of what kind of led to y'all's success? Obviously, you've got people that are physically awesome, great ball players, that kind of stuff, pitching, whatever. But it to me, it seemed like culture was that thing that just kind of really led to that success a lot. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that. Yeah. Um, just the right mindset, the right attitude, and the ability to not really take yourself too seriously. Mm -hmm. To be able to accept a message from one of your teammates that you might not like at the instant that they give it to you, but you're able to maybe joke about it a day yeah. from that or a couple hours from yeah. that message, and you're able to... to do something about it yeah and that's the kind of culture we had yeah you know no it was a safe environment it was a safe space and everyone felt like they could speak their mind and everyone felt like they were a part of 
what we were doing. Yeah. Nobody was the cast out, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, it that's cool. The, it, that was the that was the culture. Yeah. And it worked well, great. I mean, we work with a lot of employers trying to help them get to that place. You know, mm -hmm. it's so it's it's not unique in just professional sports that people are trying to trying to get there, just like the synergy you guys had. So that's really cool. Um, so what does just kind of the future look like right now right now for you? You know, you're you've got this awesome role with the Texas Rangers. Tell me a little bit about that, because I think people think assistant GM, but specifically kind of what's your day to day like as that in that role? Yeah, I'm a so my title is special assistant. So okay. I work with the organization and it could be a number of things. It could mm -hmm. be, you know, I go to the ballpark when they're when they're home. Um, go to the batting cage, work with the hitting coaches, work with the players. I sit with, with the general manager during the games and I'm more of just a sounding board for them. And, um, you know, Chris, Chris Young played baseball for an, a long time in the major leagues. And so to have somebody around that understands what he's saying, um, I think is important for him. So I'm able to do that. And then double A Frisco is right up the street, about 30 minutes. So I'm able to, you know, see the minor league guys and the developmental players. Um, and then also help with the amateur side and like the draft yeah. and, and maybe talking to some high school kids, some college kids, um, depending on our, our draft situation and, and helping the organization really any way I can. Yeah. That's kind of my role now and it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it seems like something that even just with your history, because it seems your, your upbringing and the college years, et cetera, was just such an important part yes. of who you are. So you're probably pretty passionate about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I've I've experienced so many different things in the game and steps along the way, right? Like in high school, I said I had all these guys that ended up being major leagues I was playing in high school. We were nationally ranked. Yeah. You know, we were fourth in the country, seventh in the country, tenth in the country. And then from there, I went to a junior college, mm -hmm. which is, you know, a little bit of a grind for most people. They don't understand that you can get better there and that it's not a knock on you as a player. It's a, just a stepping stone. Yeah. Um, but I was able to experience that. I was able to play Division One baseball in, in two major conferences, in the Pac-10 and in the Big 12 um, at Missouri. And so I was able to experience yeah. that. And I was also able to experience being a late draft pick mm -hmm. and like what that means and how to, how to get the organization to understand that once you're drafted, whether you're a first rounder or you're a 20th rounder, when you get to the organization, it's a clean slate. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much money that we invested in you. If you don't perform, you're not gonna you're not gonna play at the highest level. Yeah. Um, so I have all of those experiences and seeing the guys that were picked in the first, second round and the years around me, um, how the organization operated with them and how they operated and and their whole process. Yeah. Um, and then I played for five organizations in the major leagues. So different views, yeah. met different people, you know, networking and having relationships across the game is important. So um, I just try to use that experience to help players, really. Yeah. That's my goal. I mean, I'll, I love helping the, the, the Texas Rangers organization. It's like a second family to me. Yeah. Um, so it's, it feels like it. Yeah, yeah. it's like really, really yeah. fun for me. Um, but at the end of the day, if you can pass along a piece of information to a player, someone that's doing it now um, and see the light bulb go off and see the success from that conversation happen, it's, there, there's nothing that's more rewarding than that. Yeah. 
So if we're thinking about character traits, this is what we're going to kind of close up with. If, if we're thinking about character traits, okay, and you want to encourage one of these younger players to be the best that they can be, what do you, would you say are the character traits that you have a tendency to really focus on if, if you're in like a mentor role with somebody? For me, number one is attitude. Yeah. That's above all. Yeah. Like your attitude and the way you carry yourself, the way you approach other people, um, your day-to-day -day consistency with that attitude is, is number one for me. Yeah. Um, behind that, we've already talked about it, would probably be like self-reflection. Yeah. Is to be able to understand how to make yourself better, what mm -hmm. you're good at, what, you're, what you need to improve. And, and those sorts of things. That's good stuff. And that's kind of the, I mean, that, those would be the first two things that, yeah. that I would want to know. Yeah. Um, and then outside of that, it gets more, you know, baseball centric where you're worried, of, not worried, but you're thinking about adjustments. Yeah. So, you know, you, talk, you brought up golf. If I go to the driving range with you who mm -hmm. played golf at a high level and you're trying to teach me something and I can't feel that, yeah. or I can't make that adjustment, it's gonna be very difficult for me to make that adjustment. It's gonna yeah. take me a lot longer. Yeah. Um, so that's, a, that's another thing that, that you look at, is yeah. how quickly can a player make an adjustment? Um, is it a day, is it like five swings, is it yeah. you know, a month? Yeah. Um, so those are, those are really important yeah. for me. And, and like I said, attitude, attitude trumps all. Well spoken, man, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Welcome to the excellence culture, man. And I really appreciate the time. I think we can learn a lot from the things that you said. So great. Thanks. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah.